This is Limitless Possibility. I'm Yannick Magnin. And I'm Luc Olivier Dumoblet. And our topic this week is... Four years ownership of my 2017 Ford Focus RS. Sweet. But before we get into that, we have some follow-up. Yes, we do. So for this week, I have two items. And the first one is related to episode 160 titled Optimize on Different Axes, where I describe my experience of using Windows 10 on my new-to-me uh, ThinkPad laptop. So I mentioned that this laptop came with a fingerprint reader, uh, which was funny because it was my first experience with a fingerprint reader on any PC's laptop, like ignoring even the Mac. Like my all of my Macs are older than that. So I have no experiences with computers, let's put it this way, uh, and with a fingerprint reader. And part of this episode, I mentioned that it was a bit disappointing that uh, 1Password for Windows did not use it via a Windows Hello. Uh, but on May 25th, uh, one password got updated to support the Windows Hello. So if you also have, if you don't have a fingerprint reader, I think Windows Hello also uh, encompass uh, face recognition with the camera, if I recall correctly. On surfaces, I believe, yeah. Right, and also uh, on other PCs, it might encompass uh, the support for like some, uh, I'm blanking on the name, but the, the USB stick to the Fido keys that you can use to authentify yourself. Like it, I know it, it, Windows Hello means a lot of like authentication technologies, but for the laptop I have, it means more or less fingerprint support. So it does mean that by adding support for that, it means I can use the fingerprint reader to unlock my 1Password vault which is really fun uh as with the previous integration on both ios and on the mac this first iteration on one password for windows uh, requires your main password to unlock after a reboot or a restart of the application um I, and i do hope that at some point uh we will get the same behavior as with ios where even now you can just face unlock on iOS or even if you have a Touch ID supported Mac, you can uh, Touch ID unlock without your main password. I think you only need to enter it once after you configure the app and then that's fine. It's been so that's, long. That's not true. <laughs> oh, really? No, it's still once per, per boot, you have to enter the the password manually and then it becomes available via Touch ID or Face ID. Oh, okay. I, I thought they had an update recently that they were better at this, that sometimes it won't require it. But maybe I'm misremembering details, but I recall reading something about that similar. I don't know. That's just like, I I use it every day and I pretty much have this experience, so. Okay. Uh, I Yeah, Uh, it's been a long, so on the laptop, I enter my password all the time because I have no Touch ID uh, laptops. But on the phone, it is rare that I enter my password. Again, I But you don't reboot your phone very often. Yes, I don't. I know, I, and I think that's, oh, maybe that's what I'm confusing it with is I'm rarely rebooting, but before there was maybe a time element where it will also ask you for your password. Yeah, I think use. that's possible. So all of this to say, for sure, this update is, an, is a good update for that front, on that front, and I'm really happy to, uh, happy to see that. And on the same date of releasing a new window, a uh, one password for Windows, they also released an update to uh, one password in the browser, or the, it's an extension browser. I, I know they still use the extension name, uh, but those extensions are becoming kind of mini apps in like Chrome, for example. So that's kind of weird. And again, in the same episode, I also mentioned that I've decided to use Edge. 
And sadly, at this time of the recording, I haven't looked today today, but in the past few days, uh, the new extension was still not available on the Microsoft Extension Store. So uh, I had to use a quote-unquote feature of the fact that Edge is Chrome or Chromium, and you can go to the Chrome Extension Store to get the new version, which was already released there. Um, which now it means that even the Chrome extension can be unlocked using Windows Hello. And also, uh, it was the case even for Mac and iOS that, um, on Mac, excuse me, that this one password in a browser web app uh, was not allowed to use a fingerprint reader to unlock itself. And a nice side effect of version 2 on Windows means that by unlocking on the app uh, on Windows, it will also unlock it in the browser, which... It's something I was not familiar with because with Safari, the way that one password I've implemented that on the Mac and even on iOS, like we unlock it once, especially on the Mac, excuse me, you unlock it once and it's unlocked both places. Whereas it seems that with Chrome, even on the Mac, if you do that, uh, that was it or miss. So great update for one password uh, for Windows, which again, if you don't use, I don't mind, I don't care which uh, like password manager you do use but again i was really happy to see that uh one password for windows was getting quote-unquote new windows feature support uh and especially something that i felt that was really needed in the past few days with my added uh, usage of the thinkpad on episode 158 grandpa's conspiracy theorist at i love this title <laughs> uh i went over some alternatives to fully electric cars and one of them that I was really passionate and curious about was e-fuel or synthetic fuel and this week uh engineering explained at a great video detailing while e-fuel could become uh, is a hardly financial financially viable and even somewhat doubtfully environmentally viable for passenger cars so if you like details and even if you're familiar with this uh with engineering explains youtube channel uh if you like detailed math detailed explanation about engineering stuff i think this video is really for you and i put it in the show notes because also it's kind of the first I would say counter argument through a lot of the recent news about e-fuel. There's a lot, I think, a lot of good press around uh, because uh, Porsche has been pushing a lot behind it and putting a lot of PR regarding this tech. But um, again, Jason Svensky behind Engineering Explained is there to more or less show some stats and also base his calculation from other research from other scientists to kind of put some cold water on those uh, nice marketing statements. Um, spoiler alert, the idea is, I did mention passenger cars. He has other, other opinions regarding different types of transportation with e-fuel. So go in our show notes and look at it because I think it's well worth it, uh, worth to watch if you are as curious as I was regarding e-fuel. And that is it for my follow-up. Yannick, you have some. Yes. Uh, so on episode 138, we talked about Gran Turismo and the Gran Turismo series. And a very interesting interview came out this week uh, that was with Herman Hulst, which is the head of PlayStation Studios. And we're not going to go too much in depth into the contents of this interview because we will talk about it on the next episode. However, uh, it revealed that Gran Turismo 7 is being reworked into a cross-gen title, which means it will be released on PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 5, which is very exciting, but also kind of sucks. I think like 
gamers are weird and they are very pissed and i'm not sure why they're pissed because you can't actually buy ps5s right now Mm -hmm. so it is kind of nice that ps5 games are not going to be stuck on a console that we're probably not going to be able to buy for two more years uh but at the same time like i understand that you want the new console to get games that take full advantage of the new console and not have to like half step into new console territory and also support ps4 because uh as we're probably going to see very soon uh, for xbox one base xbox one people uh that doesn't always scale very nicely uh so yeah it's going to be interesting to see how it turns out i'm expecting the ps4 version is not going to be fantastic but who knows polyphony digital is insane so they might pull some miracle off and the other thing is you still have to believe that it's going to come out in 2022. Uh, knowing Polyphony Digital's track record of shipping games on time, I'm not entirely convinced <laughs> that will actually happen. So uh, there's still time, I guess, for them to change their mind. I, I like you call it your their track record of sh- shipping games on time, where they really do that. But uh, yeah. Yep. It, it is funny, though. Uh, one note just before you move to the next element. Uh when you sent me this, I was a bit disappointed. I, I, I can't get behind people. So like, Hey, you know what? We know that Polyphony Digital is good at getting the most out of a Sony console. Mm-hmm. I think the, uh, GT, especially GT6, which was late yeah. in the PS3 era, was really good at showing how the PS3 is an amazing console if you spend the time to code for it, which was one's main problem, but I digress. And GT4 was the same way with PS2. True, true. Our beloved GT4. Yeah. Uh, but again, my wallet is happy that I can buy a PS5 soonish, and that also GT7 will be coming out on the PS4 because I do wonder now that if the PS4 Pro use market will start to rise up because again, if it's work, if it works on the PS4, you might get a halfway step <laughs> of the PS5 experience by getting a PS4 uh, PS4 Pro now and running this supposedly gt7 game that will also be compatible with it so i i don't know if you've checked amazon for <laughs> ps4 prices recently i did not okay don't do it base <laughs> ps4 is like a thousand bucks right now <laughs> what what because they're they're like slowing down the uh the production of it and ps4 then... production has slowed down and ps4 pro got discontinued the day ps5 came out uh so Prices are currently all over the place. Basically, you're paying more than MSRP for PS4s as well right now. Wow. So it's so you're saying that I could sell my PS4 and make back the money I spent on it for the last five years, which is crazy. Maybe. Uh, it, it, again, depends on condition and all that right. stuff. And I, I'm not sure how used versus new uh, factors into play. But yeah, it's kind of a shit show right now for for PS4 and even kind of for Xbox One as well. So it's really weird. Uh, semiconductor uh, shortage is very strange thing to see happen, uh, unfold in front of us uh, right, right around the new turn of a console generation. It's really fucked up. <laughs> And again, to stay on the t- on t- on this week's team, it also greatly impacts the car production, yeah. which means that the used car market is skyrocketing. I can imagine, yeah. I, I think used everything is currently, <laughs> uh, whether it's Pokemon cards, whatever. If if you can buy it on- somewhere, it probably went up in price. 
Uh, Indeed. So that was it for my follow-up. However, I do have an administrative note uh, that I want to get out there. Uh, we want to pre-announce that we're going to be taking a short break for the summer throughout the month of August. So we're going to be releasing the last episode of the show before our break on August 1st. And then we are going to take the whole month of August off and hopefully return sometime in September. So stay subscribed to the podcast and stay tuned to our Twitter account for news of our return throughout the summer. Uh, yeah, that's pretty much right. it. Right now, I would put put it out again. It is still to be defined, but our kind of estimated like next release after August first should be on uh, Sunday, September twelfth. But again, stay tuned. Follow us on Twitter, and you'll see the exact details on when we're back. We want to enjoy a, a, a month off uh, to enjoy summer and relax a bit too. So that's it for me. Let's move on to your topic. Good. So this week. Uh, I'll be sharing stories related to my car owning experience to celebrate the four-year ownership of my 2017 Ford Focus RS. Uh, one thing I've realized is, yes, recently, I, like 2021 could be called the year where Luco talks about car in half of the episodes. Fine. But I realized that even throughout the six, nearly seven years of this podcast, I never really talked too much about my own cars. Like around 2017, you'll see that I had an episode about buying a new car, but not about my experience, like not about the exact experience of buying specific cars and a bit of what car I own and what I've liked about them and stuff like that. So as mentioned, the stories will are going to be related to my previous cars, uh, my current car, uh, the Focus RS, and again, why did I decide to buy it? A little bit of a mini retrospective. I'm not saying I'm going to sell it today. Uh, and also some stories about what's coming next in my car ownership life as a car enthusiast. So uh, while I'm including a mini retrospective section, again, I'd like to note that uh, there's no plan of selling it in the short term. And also I'd like to note that because of a couple of uh, of uh podcast scheduling details uh the official four-year anniversary will be at the end of the month but i had a lot of other ideas i want to talk before our small uh, break for the summer so it fitted uh, more i better better fitted to start to, to do that uh this week so today i'll be going guiding you through my car ownership story and again why i decided to switch to this exact car four years ago but first Let's talk about my first ever car that I ever bought, a 2006 Mitsubishi Lancer ES. Um, so if you know uh, what this car is, first of all, I invite you to take a small five-second break and just Google it quickly. Uh, you'll see that this is not a special cars, but again, it will always be special to me as my first car that I ever own. So I bought it in 2010 uh, while I was working during my studies. And, you know, we've talked uh, in some details in the podcast about the North American culture. And even in Quebec, that if you don't live in big cities, which I didn't know at that time, you more or less need to buy a car to get around because transit is not so great. <clears throat> yeah. Yes, Yannick, huh? Yeah. <laughs> I guess you can go re-listen to Yannick's episode about the the Trois-Via transit system, and you'll know why I got a car uh, when I was living in Trois-Via. So uh, actually, uh, s since we got news that we're probably going to be returning to the office sometime in September, I've been terrified of what the bus schedule will be like when traffic is back after a year and a half of basically no traffic and no ridership on the bus. <laughs> I'm surprised that's 
the traffic is not somewhat back because I can tell you that in Montreal it's I don't I wouldn't say it's as big as it used to be, but it is somewhat as big as it used to be crazily enough. It's definitely a lot more than it was last year at the same date, but it is right. nowhere near the usual levels, I would say. Fair, fair. So again, um one of the main reasons and you know like I need to do the math. I was Nineteen? Yes. No. Yes, nineteen. Uh yes, it's more or less ten years ago. So I was nineteen eighteen uh when I bought it, and again, part of it comes with like you don't need to talk to you, ask your parents to drive you to places, so there's a bit of freedom uh re- link to that car. So I owned it for nearly two years and a half, and the main reason I had to sell it was not because it was broken or anything, is I needed to not have to pay for it for six months, because in the fall of 2012, I was spending six months, uh, spending six months, a whole semester abroad in Sweden. So while I had uh, money to do my six months in Sweden, I did have enough money to keep the car, which makes sense so i got rid of it um and i was sad because again uh it was really a nice car uh again while i don't miss driving it i think in retrospective even in 2021 i think it was a great first car for a teenager it was quite spacious it could hold four of your friends plus you somewhat comfortably and it had a big trunk uh so and lastly it was a Japanese car, Mitsubishi, is also well known to make reliable cars, so it was uber reliable. I think I have really nothing that it broke on it for two years and a half. I don't remind any uh, remember anything. So if you were my friend and you recall something that I forgot, uh, send me a note. But the things I recall was mainly the typical oil changes and tires, and I don't even have to do. I might have done a brake job on it, and that's it. But even then, I don't really remember it. And one thing that was quite special, also special about this car, is even for the time period that I bought it, it was like a 2006, uh, it was more, let's put it this way, uh, not popular, but um, expected or it was more common to get those types of sedan cars, like sedan compact cars with a manual transmission. But it was kind of a well-specced car uh, and it had kind of the... Uh, I'll put it this way the old people spec it was like a beige interior and it also had like fake wood so it was funny to see it with kind of this strange color combo (laughs) and with a manual transmission because you would have assumed possibly that the person that originally bought it bought it with uh, would have bought uh, ordered excuse me with an automatic transmission and the my car buying experience for this was a quite a funny story too so again even as a teenager, I was looking for sporty car. And at that time, I, I had really a phase about Mini Coopers. But again, it was my first car. And also, I didn't have the, the whole cash to buy it outright. I needed approval for my parents to get the loan, right? So, because they, like, because it was, let's say, negotiation, all that fun stuff. They said, you need our signature and our approval to get the loan. So, we also have veto power on which car you should buy. So... After them more or less eliminating all the sporty options and me eliminating all the early 2000s GM and Ford, and that's quite <laughs> ironic if you know me, and Chrysler products, we more or less ended up meeting with the salesmen that sold my parents their 2009 Mitsubishi Outlander. So we more or less went back to uh, the Mitsubishi dealership, the local dealership, uh, because 
literally a year before my parents just bought an SUV there. Quick note, uh, if you're looking for Mitsubishi Outlanders used, they are quite great SUV. I really enjoyed that that one. Uh, my, they, my parents upgraded to a new one, which was fine, but the look was meh. So uh, 2009, 2010, 2011 are great uh, SUVs. I'm sure they're super cheap now because they're 10 years old, but I wouldn't be surprised if you can find a one that was well-maintained. It should, it should be quite reliable. So long story, semi-short. Um we went to the leadership at uh, the dealership and they had they were planning to offer me like we would say i want the, a car on this budget and i wanted to be spacious and a bit of why i like this car you know i wanted spacious i want to have space for friends space for my shit uh and they found a similar lancer and we agreed to for a price uh but again we wanted to see the car and when that started to come it was weird because they were kind of hesitant and like oh but wait a sec i need to go talk to my director and then it was a lot of back and forth when we we're like okay yeah we want to see the car and it literally ended up with them saying like crap we don't know where is this car <laughs> like and okay i've been working in like for on a retail product that's what lightspeed does right so it's product like software to run your store and again we don't do dealerships but it's weird for me to think about the fact that a dealership literally lost track of something in their inventory. Like, that's their job. They in and they out to sell you shit from their lot, right? And if something gets lost or spend too much time on the lot, that's why it's costly for them, for insurances, for... So, I, I'm not a dealer, but I've heard a lot of things about dealership and you don't want to have too much car spend lots of days on your dealership because that's where you end up losing money. So... Again, a long story short, they were still figuring out to where this first car that was similar to spec and what I ended up buying. But to this day, we still don't know where this car is on who fucked up when they tried to offer us. So again, they tried to, as salespeople, as good salespeople as they are, they of course don't want to lose a customer. So they ended up offering me one of their uh, dealership owner car, loaner car, excuse me, that they had a similar spec. And if I recall correctly, it was a little less mileage, not too much, but around the same uh, mileage as the description they gave from the previous one. And a funny part of it is because it was a dealership loaner car, so you go for you get your, you go leave your car for service. They give you a car that was a type of car. Uh, in I still don't understand exactly why that happened, but in the Quebec laws and the salesman stuff, blah blah blah, because the car only had the dealership as an owner and never had a like a normal person, not a, uh, a company entity at it. It was considered new, but it had like, I think 60,000 kilometers. <laughs> and we were in 2010 and it was in 2006. And the other thing too, is I think it was a car that was on their lot for a lot of time and that they just ended up converting into a loaner car because at that time, uh, Mitsubishi was offering uh I think it's the like the bumper to bumper warranty was four years, if I recall correctly. And the warranty was just like started two years before. So it was a 2006 model, but the warranty started in 2008. And it meant that in 2010, I still had full warranty cover for a year or two, something like that. Uh, so that's kind of, it was a weird car in the end. And again, it goes back to 
I felt that for the configuration it had, like a manual spec with beige interior and fake wood, it was a weird spec. So I'm not surprised that nobody... And the color was beige. It was it was called something like like sunny... Uh, not sunny sun, let's say it was sandy white, something like that. So you can imagine it's like not gray, not white. It's a weird color of sand, according to Mitsubishi marketing people. Um and I can imagine that that spec, that's that's the way the car was spec meant that they couldn't sell it. So all in all, uh, I had really, I felt it was really cheap. Um, it was a really fun car. Again, I won't go into too much details, but again, as a teenager, you always do stupid shit with your car. Uh, I never got into accident with it, so it never got broken because of that. Um, but overall, it was really a great car. And again. Do I miss this car today? Not at all. But again, if again at this point it's like literally fifteen years old, so there's no consumer advice to on saying like, oh, you should buy a 2006 Mitsubishi Lancer. I'm sure they're all uh, either really, 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 really used or uh, out of the mar- uh, out of the market and or out of the roads. Uh, but as a first car that I owned, it will always as a fun. I'll have fond memories for it. And I'm sure, I think Yannick, you rode into it a couple of times. Too. Yeah. So that's that for the first car. Um, after that, I I bought a 2014 Ford Fiesta ST, which I might have made some comments about it in the past on the podcast. And as you start can start to see, there was a big gap between selling the Lancer and getting the Fiesta. And... More or less what happened is I bought it a couple of months after starting my job at Lightspeed. Uh, it was a moment where Tony was still living in Quebec City. so And I was in Montreal. So he was literally three hours, well, two hours and 45 minutes away from me by car. Uh, and again, I could have taken the bus, but it's long and it's shitty. So having a car to still be able to see my boyfriend most weekends was literally a no-brainer. But before I continue on this car journey, I need to kind of make a small detour about my journey as a car enthusiast throughout my life, especially through college and university. Um, I think you can I can say about myself that I have always loved cars. I remember like even before like uh, it's funny because uh, when I listen to Analog when Casey and Mike talk about uh, F1 and the new uh, <laughs> Drive to Survive, yeah, the yeah. Drive to Survive uh, Netflix series. When they talk about F1, I, it reminds me of my time when I was maybe 10, 15, and I was watching F1 quite religiously. My, my dad watched uh, F1 quite religi- religiously still, um, and it reminded me of this part and I always like cars, and I was really good at naming them when I was a kid and stuff like that. But the rig CJEP, like college and university, it's fe- it always felt to me that I parked aside that passion for cars to focus on, on, at that time, a more recent passion of mine, which was literally tech and especially programming. And this even became, this became even more strong or even more parked, let's put it this way, after me selling the Lancer because literally I could, like the reason I sold the Lancer was to also do something I always dreamt of. I was I recall even doing CJEP, like saying, oh, I really want to go abroad when I go to university and blah, blah, blah. It was like quite planned for the three years I was in college. So, and then even the 40, the first year of university, I was like only focusing on having the great grades, 
working hard, uh, having a second, having a, a job outside of school to make sure I have enough money to uh, do that plan. So it really was really weird because for a couple of years of my life, this got literally put aside. And like I would watch news, a couple of things, but if I compare it with, if if we look at today's, today's our car are kind of becoming my passion outside of work like it's a big contrast like i do still love tech and programming i think this podcast is one of the main example or the main temple of that but it is like kind of if cars became my escape valve from my other passion which is building amazing mobile products the same way that mobile programming kind of became my escape valve from our shitty cgip program (laughs) (laughs) uh so with, with that in mind, why I bring this back is shopping for that second car after not really driving. I, I drove a little bit uh, after my, uh, in the fast, past few weeks of my time away. Uh, when after my my time in Sweden, I spent a week or two in, Fran- in France just before coming back here. Uh, and I met with some friend and we went to a road trip and I really wanted to say, like, I... I don't mind coming to you, but we need to make a road trip because I need to drive. And let me tell you, when you tell that to your like French friends that like they live in Paris and they're like, what car? You like cars or like a car is a burden. <laughs> and you like, you told them like, you really want to drive. They're like, which creature are you? It was fun too. But they had fun. Like, you know, like some of them live on the countryside. So it was fun to go see them and all the fun stuff. And it's funny because I recall I really needed to drive. Um, so that was fun also to drive on French roads because they have higher speed limits and all fun stuff. I experienced that and experienced impatient French driver that were like not used to me just be like, oh, okay, okay, I need to get used to, I think it's 135, the max limit when it's a sunny day because they have also two limits. If it's uh, rainy or snowy, it's 100 kilometers per hour like here, but they allow 135 when it's a nice day. So I was still getting used to that. Um so that was another side uh, fun. But coming back to shopping for the Fiesta, not having, like, I drove a little bit in be- between, um, let's say, summer of 2012 to summer of 2014. So for two years, I drove a little bit, but again, I was not owning a car. And even in my move to Montreal, I was renting a bit just to do my day to day stuff. Uh, but after two years, I really literally had a, a niche to scratch. But as I mentioned in the opening of that section about the Fiesta ST, my first main goal about getting this car was to commute. It was a commuter car. I needed to go from Montreal to Quebec City. But again, you know, like I was, again, starting a new job and it's not maybe not good financial advice, but I I was in the need to get something nice, you know, Um <laughs> I did tell you offline that I, you, I would say that would become more comment of this podcast yeah. in this episode. So you, you start to see why. But again, you you were with me when like I went through that. So you might recall even those moments. But at that point, it's kind of when I realized like it would be nice to get the car that bring, brings me to point A to point B. But I always wanted to get some something funnier and nice and sportier. So... That's when it slowly, slowly start to come back. You know, I need to shop. So I need to watch a couple of YouTube videos to see what's on the market because I've been off the market for a couple of years. And slowly but surely it became 
But again, my cross shopping list was quite weird because it was too extreme. I was I wanted something either quite sporty that I could have fun with that can still be a daily driver. Yes, that's an, I'm not buying a Ferrari or something that is really yes can be daily driven, but not let's not exaggerate here. Or something literally like quite comfortable that its main purpose is to drive like to drive yourself from point A to point B. There's no passion driving it. There's no fun to drive it. Like, but nothing in the middle. I could have like maybe look at the, some of the like uh, mid tier level uh, model. Nope, nothing. And the best example I can give you, like my mind was set on if I were to just decide I'll go the quite comfortable route. I literally wanted a Volkswagen Jetta. I test drove it. Uh, and it reminded me a lot of my Lancer. It was like well comfortable. It was not super nice inside. It was kind of a bit cheap, but it was a cheap car too. The trunk was spacious. The back seat was spacious. So it would be useful if I need to move things or I have a couple of friends with me. And then the two other cars were after my me going on YouTube and figuring out what nice cheap sports car I could get was either the Fiat 500 Abarth or the Fiesta ST. And that's when, especially with those two cars, that I realized that dealerships are shitty. That's <laughs> yeah. the main the main lesson I've heard I learned from buying the Fiesta ST is dealerships are shitty. Um what I realized is those two cars, because they are sporty version and expensive version of like fifteen thousand Canadian uh dollar cars, when you spend maybe twenty five, thirty for them, like not all dealerships have them. So just trying to find a dealership to test drive one was a journey on its own. Like, for example, I recall the, the for the 500 Abarth, I, I, I was looking around in Trois-Via, they had none for me to test, and it was another case where, oh, we have one. And it's like, oh, but we cannot find it. <laughs> Why does and this keep like, happening? I don't know. It was so funny. And then it's like, oh, but you know, if you're looking for a basic Jetta, we can give you the, the like the mid-tier level, which is not as crazy as the Abarth. But, and I'm like, no, I, like my mind is set. If I want a boring car, I'll get the Jetta. But I want to drive the, the more sporty uh, 500, Fiat 500. And it's like, so after a couple of talks, he gets me to say, okay, no, like we can try your... The, and it was called the 500 Turbo, which I think was kind of the top of the line without getting to the fully specced Abarth sport car. So I was like, okay, you know what? I'm here. Let's go test drive one. Looks in the system. Oh, yeah, we have one here. Okay, let me find it. Goes in the, the, the parking lot, <laughs> tries to find it. Oh, cannot no. find it. <laughs> and I was like, oh, are you fucking kidding me? Like, it's literally the same story. Uh, and it's funny because in Troia, the uh, Mitsubishi and Chrysler Fiat dealership, I own, I own, I think more like they were owned by the same family, but also Chrysler and Mitsubishi used to have a, a partnership. They, that like, sounds right. Yeah. When they came, when they came to North America, that they went, they came through Chrysler. So they were, a lot of them were built next to Chrysler locations because they had the partnership, even in the eighties and nineties, some of the Chrysler cars were just like rebadged Mitsubishi cars. Um, so long story short, uh, more or less the Mitsubishi dealership and the Chrysler dealership in Trois-Vières are literally in front of each other. So it was kind of like, okay, uh, I'm aware of that. So I finally, finally find out, a, find a place to, uh, for a dealership and in Montreal and you know what, it was kind of lackluster. It's like, they didn't really want me to be there to do the test drive and then they didn't really try to push the car they had to me. So 
compare that with the Fiesta ST and this one, when I find a place where they add one, oh man, when they say that car salespeople are the worst, this is a good example. <laughs> so I was able to go drive, drive it and fell in love with it. It's like, fuck the Jetta at this point. Literally, I need to get the Fiesta ST because... Uh, compared to one thing I didn't like is the Fiat 500 apart is a smaller car. It's really, really small. Um, and even if there's backseat, never ride in the backseats of this. Like I was, I did that once when two of my friends that are like six foot were, uh, in the front seats and I was literally having my uh, knees in my face and I'm <laughs> not short, but not tall. So when I, that happens to me, it means there's literally no place. But I digress again. Uh, with the Fiesta ST, uh, I found a dealership in Montreal that has one, and I go test drive it. Not the configuration I really, really liked, but at least they have one, so gives me a, an idea. So we go on their test drive, and then we came back, and the uh, the salesperson is like, we start talking price, and the salesperson is like, no, uh, cannot give you a price. I'm like, what do you mean you cannot give me a price? And then the sales text starts, and it was like. Just tell me you want it. I'm like, no, 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 no. You give me a price and I'll tell you if I want it or not. Like, nope, don't give you a price. Don't worry about that. We'll figure it out part of the process. And that literally stayed. I was like, okay, no, I'll leave. Bye. Like, I don't care. And just cross shop and make sure I was getting a good price from another dealership. Then I test drove the car. I know I want it. So it was then easier to go to another dealership and just negotiate the price. And I did that with a couple of dealership, and I still called back the salesperson. It's like, hey, what's the price for this car? Still, they wouldn't tell me. I he really insisted that he would give me the best deal if I said I take it, that I shouldn't worry about the price. Like, no, no tricks about the monthly payments, no nothing. Just literally say yes, sign here, and then we'll figure the rest out. I was like, oh my <laughs> God, that's crazy. So again, you'll see like to, tonight we're going through my car buying experiences that always have something funny through them. But uh, in the end, find a dealership that add, didn't add one, but that they was like, oh, we'll look for one for you. Uh, give us a, your order of colors and we'll figure out, try to find one. And I think that's my main regret with the Fiesta SD. I really enjoyed it. And we'll talk about some of the other fond memories I have with it. But my main regret is not insisting on getting the real color I wanted. From, I think, 2014 was the first year of the Fiesta ST. Not the first year of the Fiesta in North America, but the ST, yes. And from 2014 till 2016, maybe only 2015. So for a few limited years, like Fiesta, the Fiesta brand had uh, an amazing green. Uh, for sure, green is not for everyone. I personally really love green um and it's a type of green that was kind of a, uh, a granny smith apple green so not too flashy but still green and to this day every time i see a fiesta with this color it's an instant turn ed turner for me <laughs> even if it's not an st model i really really enjoy this color in the end because i was a bit of an impatient jerk and the dealership i went to they were like okay we found you one black and is that okay and i was like okay sure because they could get it like the next week without going through a custom order and this is when i discovered a nice thing called internet do you know what's internet Yannick? never heard of it okay so internet it allows you to see websites and what's on a web- website <laughs> 
a website is a page full of information. So imagine hmm. it's a sheet of paper, but in your screen. And this sheet of paper can contain, for example, well, just talking here, the inventory of all the Ford dealership in Canada. Oh, shit. <laughs> and yeah, I kind of discovered two weeks after buying the Fiesta ST that Ford adds an online lookup of its inventory oh, no. of all of its dealerships. And that uh, there was a dealership in the Quebec City region that had the exact same Fiesta configured with their sunroof because they didn't have too much option like sunroof, navigation maps. So it had GPS, but you need to pay for the, the fucking SD card. It's worth $150 because maps uh, and the green. And yeah, so... But do you think they would have been able to find it? Uh... <laughs> We'll never know. We'll <laughs> never know. <laughs> uh, but at least it was in the inventory. So uh, that doesn't mean again, anything. It doesn't mean anything. You're correct. But I learned my lesson that next time I want to buy a Ford, and we'll see about that soon. I really need to go on Ford's website and look at the inventory in the system so that at least I have. Uh, not a step forward, but I have the information I want, especially if I don't want, plan to wait for a custom order where we order it to the factory and it takes two or four months and all that fun stuff. And I think, again, uh, tonight is stories and tangents, so bear with me for a sec, but I think it's kind of common or like well-known from like marketing dynamics and even sales dynamics that in North America, we're really like, we want cars off lot and not order them and wait for them. And I was watching a couple of videos on YouTube, plus reading a lot about that, that it's really ingrained in our car buying experiences and car buying culture that here, Canada, in the US, people overall, they go to the dealership and they'll buy what's on the lot. People are impatient jerks, I guess. What's really my main fond memory with the Fiesta ST, we said Lancer, first car, uh, there's another first with the Fiesta. A year after buying it, I think in summer of 2015, that's when I started to go drive on racetracks with it. Uh, I really enjoyed driving it on the road and I realized, you know what? Like, I want to have fun and experience a certain level of its performance and capabilities. And I think you can experience performance on a lot of modern cars, even as not too powerful as the Fiesta ST, but to experience its full capabilities, you need to, with any modern cars, you need to be uh, quite of a good driver with good race techniques and driving techniques. So I said, you know what? I want to. I don't want to be the best one, but I want to uh, get better at this and be able to try to experience the, the, these nice cars. So let's go on racetrack. And for this, I think surprisingly enough for a smaller car that was five doors not too much room in the back seats nor in the uh, trunk space or hatch area for the storage space uh it was lovely to drive it was spirited and even to this day with the focus like it drove differently than i not that i miss it but after let's say five years of driving more and attending racing academy and driving academies that i feel that as a driver I learned a lot in the past five years and even when i sold it in 2017 to get the focus um i really would wish that i still had both if you see what i mean that i could compare the differences between those two cars because i do have a lot of fond memories 
driving it and enjoying its capabilities. Okay, so now we are at the point where we talk about the Focus RS. So now we are in 2017. And again, while I was still enjoying the Fiesta ST, I was always, you know, as I said, the Fiesta ST restarted, like we removed the car enthusiast side of my passions away from the parking lot and put it in front of the house, if I make some bad car analogies. Uh, and literally, again, I was watching a lot of car videos. I was reading a lot about the news. So, of course, I even listening to some car podcasts. So, it becomes quick, I guess, or it becomes easy to say like, oh, I wish I had this, or I wish I really enjoy or try this car. So, in that summer, um, I was tossing the idea of getting a second car, uh, something more summer-focused, possibly a cover- uh, convertible. And as you might know, uh, Quebec has a season and it's called winter, which means that uh, we have shitty four or five months. I know you love winter, Yannick. I'm sorry, I'm not a winter Can't person. Can't wait until winter. <laughs> uh, no, I'm still in... Like, it's not too hot still, so it's like really nice. You know, it's, it's just early June, so the, the hot summer days are still there to come but yeah poor friends out west that had like 26 degree day today today it was 17 degrees and raining here and i was just so happy <laughs> it was uh about the same weather here in montreal too so it wasn't too bad uh, i would have skipped the rain but uh 2025 is my perfect weather like but it does mean too that when winter ends a lot of people either want to sell their car that is more summer focused and there's a lot of so there's a lot more a lot a lot of more availability in the car used car market and yes there's a bit more people that are there to buy so there's a bit more demand uh, so you can say that uh, April and May yes might not be good for the prices but again it's a high moment for the used car season let's put it this way. So at that time, during those two months, I spent time and time again on used car website, looking at what would interest me. I test drove a couple of cars, and I'm not saying which one yet because it's going to be important later in the story. <laughs> but uh, I decided to pull the trigger on one at that moment, and I recall this as like I was like a bit hesitant, you know, it would have become my first used car, you know, it's a like a. So not lesser known, but a, a bigger unknown than buying a new car, even if new cars can have problems. So I decided to pull the trigger on one and say, okay, you know what? I've seen the cars. I test drove it. Let's bring it to my mechanic for a pre-purchase inspection in early June. And sadly, the car failed. Like literally, first thing, my mechanic goes on a five-minute drive and he's like, did you drive it? And I'm like, yes. It's like, did you realize it's male oil? So I'm like, uh, uh, no. And then he's like, so we start looking at it and it was like pretty leaky. So I was like, okay, not really. Uh, and then it's funny, you know, I can, I was a bit stressed, you know, when doing those uh, test drive and everything. And then I was remembering what I've seen, but I didn't really process correctly at that moment because I was stressed, you know, like first time trying to look for cars, like dealing with the, uh, the direct seller, not the dealership, is a bit different too. Uh, and, but there was a couple of oil stain in the driveway from where it was. So I was kind of not putting one and one, <laughs> uh, one and one together, if you see what I mean. But again, that's why you also do pre-purchase inspection kits because you 
leave it in hands uh, in the uh, capable hands of somebody that does that daily and then tell you what's wrong with it and if it costs you depending on the type of car but it's not costing you thousands of dollars so ignore my uh, you get a new job and you buy a new car uh, just do the pre-percentage inspection it's it's balancing the financial advice today uh, on this podcast but I digress a bit again Uh, because it failed that's when I was like it's June uh, the summer car is getting all sold because people are trying to enjoy them. So if I want to continue on that, like June, July, August will be slow months, more in September, October, when people realize, oh, I need to put it in storage. I might need to pay for storage. I don't want to do that. So usually September, October, that's when people start to liquidate those cars or get rid of them. So you could get good deals if you're willing to buy a summer car or a convertible in our like October season when it's about to be used less for four months. Uh, one small tip for that. And my plan B was to say, okay, I have a small budget for a used car. What if I use this small budget and my monthly payments and just replace the one car I have for something that offers me a different car experience? Because the main reason why I wanted to look at the summer focus car was I wanted to experience something different. Not because the, the, folk, the Fiesta was problematic. I think it it was really good, really reliable. Even if I went on waste track on it, you'd be surprised. Yes, I burned two consumables, tires, brakes, but that's expected. But nothing really breaked on it. I think the only parts that was a parts in the brake system that broke and it was still under warranty. And guess what? It got covered under warranty, even if you could assume that the reason it broke is because I went on the racetrack on it. But hey, the forward, the dealership didn't say a word. So I was like, sure, that's it. But while wanting a different car experience but i kind of realized that ford could offer me something familiar but also offering me a different experience that's when my attention converged quickly to its big brother of the fiesta st which was newly released at that time the focus rs we're talking about 150 more horsepower we're switching away from front wheel drive to a rear bias all-wheel drive system uh, we were moving away, we were getting a bigger car, so a bit more space, more on that later, from subcompact category to a compact car, the focus is considered compact and not subcompact, and it was literally, I get something different, but still get what is making the 2010s of Ford performance car great. And I think this is a moment in time that Ford had with its first, its uh, one Ford, one World Vision, which was interesting. That's why we got the Fiesta in North America. That's also why in 2011, we got the generation that finished with my Focus RS in 2018 of the Focus, which was literally the same car, more or less same platform that when you buy a Focus here in North America, you buy a Focus in Europe, you buy a Focus in Asia, it would be the same car, not like previously or even in the 2000s where you would buy a focus in north america that was the north american focus not the world version tweak for all north american laws uh, which was the top behind the one world one for and i know i talk a bit more and more details about this uh this team that ford had in the 2010s in some previous car episodes so i won't go into too much details but more or less to say is four other good moments with car, perfor- uh, car performance cars. Um, like in 20, 
12 with, uh, with the introduction of Focus R uh, ST, then in 2014 with the Fiesta ST, and then in 2016 with the Focus RS, and then the coming back of the 4GT in 2016, 2018, I think, 2017, whatever, around that time too. Uh, like performance hatchbacks were hot in Ford, and for reasons like. I didn't never really drove the ST, but having driving both the Fiesta ST and the Focus RS, like there's something. And again, watching too much car videos and YouTube car videos on YouTube and other places, as with the Fiesta ST, the reviews the reviews of the Focus RS were overly positive. So that's when I decided let's pull off log. Let's Remember our mistakes from the Fiesta ST? Let's start by looking at the online inventory tool to see what car were available near me. So uh, the dealership I went to uh, for the Fiesta literally had uh, two on lot, which was surprisingly a surprise for, uh, for a car that is supposedly super popular at that time. They had one in the same nitrous blue, because that's the name of the color of my car, which is if you Google Ford Focus RS, that's the press color, so... That's the and while it was the press launch color, it was also the mostly produced car color for this uh, lineup. So uh, it was the blue, the black that were the two most popular, and then the white and the gray, which the gray is really beautiful, are the more rare colors because those were not really uh, as produced as the other ones. Uh, but I was shopping around again a month before I was starting to shop for this. Uh, remember, I was talking about one break, that, uh, one part that broke on the uh, on the racetrack for the Fiesta. So I went to go fix it, and I saw them. And it's funny. A month later, I come back and say, "Okay, they're still there. Let's go talk with the, the with the salesperson. Try to get if my the same salesperson that I bought my car from three years ago was still there." She was not, so they assigned me with somebody else. And again, that then went really well. Uh, not for the reason that the car was not present, so the, the car was really there. That's that broke this streak. Uh, but it was li- literally a sleazy uh, sales tactic. So because it was in the moment that the car was still quite popular, there was a dealer markup on the price. So long story short, on car dealer prices. They offer at MSRP, so manufacturers suggest a retail price. But sometimes dealership, when cars are hot because they have it on the lot, they try to make more money than uh, the profit, they, the limited profit they make on top of MSRP. So they literally just put a fee on top of the price. Um, and it's funny because they add the same two, the blue and the black, in the dealership. One inside, one in driving uh, par- in the parking lot. And the guy goes on a charade about how oh, he's getting calls every day. And because I'm a customer, he's going to wa- he's going making me a good deal by waving the, uh, the, the dealer markup. I'm like, dude, just wave the dealer markup and give me real discounts. Like that to me, it's not, the, you're not making me a great offer by just waving the, uh, the, your dealer markup. And, Literally, I was here a month ago and the two cars were here. So stop bullshitting me. And let's say that the guy didn't like that. I was like, dude, like, don't take me for an idiot. And let's say I just got rage quit the dealership. Uh, it, it, it became to a moment where the guy was literally, no, I'm making you a good deal. Like, this is what we can do. I'm like, okay, if somebody, if this car is so popular that your deal, your so good deal, uh, 
means that you'll sell it to more than sell it to another dumb fuck that that is not me like do your do what you want and i'll just figure it out so luckily for me though i knew already uh that there was another dealership literally five ten minutes away from that one that was as close somewhere not too far away from my place either that had one too and this one was quite uh, it was kind of a luck a lucky find because this one I had the previous expense from all the other places where it was in their inventory and they were like, wait, what? It's online? It's not supposed to be online. Oh. <laughs> um, it's and, it, and I've learned through the process that the reason they were like, oh, wait, is because they A, just received it. Because when I looked at it, uh, one thing that happened with this one is kind of didn't do a test drive. Uh, which I, in the end, I did not regret, but uh, it's playing with fire, let's put it this way. Yes, it's a new car, but I still believe that a test drive is important, but again, sometimes uh, dealerships are a bit careful to do test drives on sports cars, especially when like a 20-something comes in and say, I want to buy the car, because what I figured out is, yes, they just received it, so when I went in their parking lot it was not inside it was not prepped it was literally with the the pack the shipping pa- uh, paper on it it was still like plastic everywhere inside outside to protect the car because it was just shipped but what i learned is even before i came in somebody came in and get got rejected at finance so that's why i was like okay we like let's take our time to prep it and then put it in our main or in a showroom before putting it online but again it's the ford system it's not their website so ford added in the system and again with this one there was no drill like it's like this is the price and the price is the msrp so i was like okay then what can you do and then normal typical uh, negotiation started and again there was some ford programs to give me discounts because i was a ford customer with the fiesta and all that fun stuff so at, at least this sales experience was uh, a bit more normal and a bit more respectful, let's put it this way, than the other one. So at least there's kind of a common themes about fuck up in inventories when I buy new cars. And that's, <laughs> while I was writing my notes, I was like, oh yeah, that's kind of a common theme between all my car stories. So uh, I hope it makes for a fun journey. But now we can talk about what I like in those four years about the car. And it's three, it's two points. I still like, to this day, love the design and the color. As one of my friends say uh, to me every time he sees my car, he's like, this car is sexy. And I wouldn't say sexy, but I really say beautiful. It's still like, even today, like I would see it park and I was like, I'll, I'll leave the, like we'll leave to go, let's say to Walmart and I'll leave the car and I always like, oh, it looks good. Even like <laughs> 10 feet away. And you know what? I know you're laughing and everything, but I think it is something good for somebody that really enjoys car because yeah. you don't want to get burned not burned but tired of your own car because i think that's what will not kill your passion but make you switch cars and you know what there's people that are luckier than me that has the have the money and the passion for sure to change car v 18 months two years because they get tired and just want a new car and that's fine but even after four years i still really really love the way it looks and even love the color even if it's a flashy blue car like you cannot miss me when i arrive to pick you up uh like let's just say i'll come with the blue car 
don't worry, you'll see me. Yeah, not, not, I, not uh, easy to miss. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that's what you said the first time you saw it. It's like, yeah, I think I'll see you now. And again, even compared to the Fiesta ST, I think that especially when it was in black, like mine, a normal Fiesta, Fiesta ST, or okay, like Fiesta were semi-popular as a car, so you would go through the masses of car and not stand out but the rs even in bright blue like this is a rare car uh rare-ish car uh and you really stand out uh the power for sure even if i continue my journey of going through racetrack and some say and it, i think they threw like you know power can become an handicap of like you can always compensate in your driving techniques by just like having more power than others uh i've seen that sometimes you're like kind of gut like oh i want to pass somebody and i have more power and you get burned because they're faster than you in corners that happened a lot but it's funny how powerful is this car and sometimes you need to be careful because bad things with the police can happen if you see what i mean uh but that doesn't that doesn't get tired too uh for this it's surprisingly also um it, yes it has a rough ride for sure it's quite sporty and it's well known to even in the normal uh mode of the suspension to be too stiff uh and that i think it's not it's not something i dislike i was uh, well aware of this but when some people kind of like just randomly reach out to me uh in day-to-day life and they're like hey what do you think about it blah blah, blah like We'll talk about that in the dislike section because sometimes it's a bit too much, but I like, uh, I'm spoiling the next section. Uh, that's what something I will say is like, I don't mind it. There's a couple of moments that, you know, like we need to go see family and, uh, and drive an hour and 30 minutes. And I had a big week and, you know, I wish that it was a bit less stiff, uh, but I don't still to this day, I don't put it too much in a dislike uh, but I could see it's a bit, it could be a big turnoff for others. So that's w- always one of the things I, as I see this, it is something you might dislike, but I still don't. Again, I'm still young and it's not too bad, but I could see a lot of people disliking this. Uh, to come back on the uh, car's power, uh, it's quite fun also in the snow. I think uh, what I realized is, yes, I dislike winter, but having fun in the snow with a car is a bit too fun and this <laughs> brings me to the point that the all-wheel drive system is quite the complement to this car um the reason i mentioned that is rear bias is because i was looking at other competitors uh even like for example the uh volkswagen golf r uh and the way that its all-wheel drive system works it's always front wheel drive bias for sure by default uh uh, Golf R or even the GTI or Golf is front wheel drive. So the car has a bias towards the front wheel, the front wheels, and then if needed, will send power to rear wheels. Whereas depending on the driving modes in the Focus RS, it can bring a lot of power to the back wheels like your other European sports car like BMW, Mercedes Benz, Porsches, uh, Porsches, and, and a lot of what people consider sports car are rear-wheel drive and i think that's a good mix of getting the advantages of all-wheel drive cars i want i was about to say safer not really but uh more stable on non on loose surface roads like snow like gravel like rain um 
but you can put it in the mode to have fun and let me tell you you can have fun uh, with the all-wheel drive system and again those two last component meant that at the race track my enjoyment of going through the, the track was way bigger than with the Fiesta because again while the Fiesta was a fun car it could be a fun car in the twisters in the twisty excuse me it was not a fast car in the straights and it does meant that sometimes you could get picked up by a lot of people and sometimes it's also fun to pass people on the racetrack and should i'm not saying it should be the main goal but you know it's fun to have those moments even if it's not a race but that you come up to something that somebody is closer you make good movements before the entrance of a curve after the entrance of a curve to safely pass them and again a little bit of power again always helps from some lack of skills so uh, it really improved my uh, time and my enjoyment of race events uh, it's funny though because in the past two or four years i was spending a lot of time in the same racetrack um, and this is a really tight racetrack and with the fiesta i went on couple of different style of racetracks that may might have not been well not adjusted but well suited for the fiesta st some of them had long straights and uh i need to look into that again pandemic and all fun stuff but uh since i got the focus i didn't went to those racetrack which with the focus might be a bit more well suited for yes twisties but long straights where you can have fun accelerate a lot uh and uh, get some speed you know like racetracks i always said is a great way to enjoy our fast powerful modern cars and sadly but surely in north america at least here in quebec like places where you can do that safely and what i mean by safely is outside of the fucking roads right are getting shut down one after the other and then what happens when they all shut down like people will still do the stupid shit in the streets and if you do that in the streets, like bad things might happen. But if you don't have place to vent this kind of adrenaline, that makes people resort on things they shouldn't resort to. I'm not saying that one causes the other, but sadly it does. Uh, so small digression on that. Uh, but it does mean that like it was well designed to go on racetrack and it was really fun to experience that. And that even on the on the normal commutes and all that fun stuff uh, it was uh, the fiesta was peppy like i used to call it like it was fun to drive you press the accelerator and it goes but uh, the the rs it goes like it, no hesitation it's like it's gone so uh you really need to be careful what did i didn't like about it because no car are 100% perfect. Even if I'm still really enjoying this car, there are still that are not great about it. And surprisingly enough, even if I went up into a car category, and what I mean by that is going from subcompact to compact car, one, including myself, might have assumed that there would be more spaces in, for the backseat passenger and the trunk space, but not really. I don't have the exact stats in front of me, uh, but it is not that much spacious compared to the Fiesta. And I think one of the problems that the RS had is it was kind of a, a farewell tour of that Focus generation. The fo that Focus, it was based on the Focus generation that was released in 2012. Uh, and 
again to compare it with the golf r for example uh which was more recent was based from uh, 2016 generation you felt that the interior space in the focus was not well used to accommodate for space for the passengers or for storage um, it was kind of a bit old school and that's bit old school and not well optimized and the same things uh, apply to the interior feel the material use you felt that you were in a twenty thousand dollar foot focus with really nice recurro sports and that's it uh again compare it with the golf r and that's the reason i compare it with one of its competitors because the things i liked the design the power the all-wheel drive system is a bit less crazy in the golf r so the things i really enjoy about the rs while i would have enjoyed it uh, with the golf r they're a bit more tame like i've had great fun with other drivers that have them and like they're more or less head-to-head with like similar skills driver uh on track but again uh the one the, the crazy level is tuned a bit higher on one than the other which meant that it's because the golf r is a bit more tame it's a better place for daily driver yes it's powerful it's maybe i think it's around 300 horsepower compared to 350 for the focus but it looks it might sound kind of a downside, but it is not. It looks like a cheap Audi. So the interior uses well, nice materials, soft materials. You don't have like hard, cheap plastic everywhere. You have nice leather too. You have a well-designed interior. It's not like, oh, it's the, again, that's the cheaper model focused interior, but with the, the center display screen because we put in that option that you can buy uh it's not included default by default on a cheaper focus but for this one we give it you for free because it's super expensive because of all the sports upgrade so those two points are really my main kind of gripes about the car itself uh the last one and the last one is a bit about reliability i don't think it's an unreliable car but uh the focus was plagued with uh mod uh engine problem from it starts and it's literally i won't go into too much details but one part called the head gasket was literally installed the wrong way at the in, at the <laughs> factory literally it was the wrong one because Amazing. The, the engine compares to other form model were similar but not exactly the same and the focus rs was optimized for performance so it doesn't have the same all at the same place so it meant that cooling wouldn't go the right way which meant people blew up their engines oof and yeah and it's a bit sad because for the first six months to yeah six to eight months like i bought the car in june uh i figured that out in september that it was kind of ongoing because yes i was watching a lot of reviews but it seemed that i didn't watch the right not the right reviews but i watched the reviews yes but didn't watch the feedback from owners and while my car never experienced any of the symptoms um you always end up being kind of a bit overcautious. Like you mm-hmm. start a car like, okay, is it doing the, the rattle sound or is it smelling like coolant is being burned in the exhaust? Like it should be, it shouldn't be because that is, that defect is happening. And even if, because there was also a period where Ford was kind of like, we don't know why that's happening and we don't know if we would do a recall. And in the end, they didn't even, even do a recall. They did the uh, TSB, the technical service board. 
no, excuse me, a technical service bulletin, which is kind of the difference between a recall, which is like a recall is like it's going to be required. You're out of warranty. No, no. The manufacturer says it needs to be done because there's a safety problem. This is like, oh, we're kind with the customers. If you're still on warranty, we'll do it. And there was dates where it's like, oh, yeah, even if you're outside of warranty, we'll still do it. But it's like the iPhone battery program that they did a couple of years ago. It's like, well, we did this thing for our beautiful customers. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a good equivalent of that. But again, it meant that literally... It's funny because when it started to be like, yes, Ford is going to be doing it in February of, of 18, I literally went to my dealership and be like, there's a TSB on my car, do it. <laughs> and they're like, what? It's like, yes, do it. And they're like, okay, I need to look. And then after the first few owners started to do it at their dealership, Ford also added a new TSB saying, oh yeah, we realized that we also need to change this, this, and this part because other people start to experience like mis other problems part of the exchange it was a big job to do <laughs> so i i look at my like they do the first part and then i look at my bill i look online people tell me oh if they didn't do this because i think they they also realize because of the replacement parts it's also it will be safer if you also replace a couple of parts that are needed to another part that is regarding to the fuel system and my dealership was not aware. So I go back as like, hey, you know, I know things are moving fast and I might be one of your first customer that did those first, this first job. But Ford has already updated their bulletin to say you also need to change those other parts. <laughs> and I bring the, I bring the imprinted PDF from the, from the internet and the guy's <laughs> like, A, why, where did you get this? And B, why are you doing my job? It, it didn't say that not in a mean way, but it's like, Ford should have told us about this already. And yeah. I'm not aware of that. So again, guy goes look back and it's like, you're right. We're so sorry about this. Don't worry. We're doing the parts. Might take a while and we'll fix it. And, and they did. Again, like I was really happy with this different dealership, even with the, the post-service experience. Yes, I don't get my car maintained, but everything that was warranty-wise that I went there uh, was good. I had a transmission leak that's sadly the first fix was under warranty and the second fix was not. Um, and even for this, they, they, they're so not aware of this problem, but they're so used to this type of problem where customer thinks by reading the warranty that it would, this problem would be covered. And then of course there's a small print that says this part in the manual transition is not covered, but we covered the manual transmission itself. Uh, that they add a program to say like, if you pay, let's say 60% of the bill, we can charge the rest to Ford as kind of a good grace from you and blah, 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 kind of a, kind of part of this. Like it's part of not the warrant. It's part of the gray zones of the warranty because warranties. So again, I had a couple compared to the Fiesta where one part broke and I could atta attach it to me going on the racetrack. In the last four years, there are a couple of parts, especially in the last year, I should say, there's a couple of parts that started to break, which were not too expensive, but like the transmission repair was about two four hundred dollars. I had a part recently that was maybe uh, one hundred and fifty plus time. I don't recall exactly how it ended up to be. I think two hundred dollars something like that. Compared to that, like it's not unreliable but you always get this sense because the car had <laughs> literally the wrong part installed at the factory you always get this feeling it's like oh something is wrong would i say to somebody that is looking for one today not to buy it no i would just ask if you have proof that this 
quote unquote recall was done, that it was done. And if that's the case, like go for it. And I think the reason why it was never recalled, and people said that online, is that people were so passionate about the RS that like the adoption rate of this recall, if you can call it this way, Ford kind of assumed that people will just bring it in and ask to be fixed. So why make it an official recall, which would impact some of our customers' sat and all some of our like stats about how frequently our cars are recalled? Like <laughs> that's why the TSBs are always gray zones because generally speaking, and if if we have some car dealership mechanics in the audience, they might correct me here. But again, the technical service bulletin usually are like, if the customer comes in with this problem. Yes, you can fix it, but the customer needs to come in. Whereas a warranty, you might not have the pro- not a warranty, but a recall, you might not have that problem. But you can go in the dealership and they'll fix it. They're forced to fix it because the, the manufacturer has recalled it. That, so that's the the gray zone they created around that. So that's my quote unquote description of how reliable this car is. And I would say okay, not perfect, but not really bad. Uh, after four years, last point about. What I dislike, and it's not about the car itself, but it is about the car itself. And I did I did when I would talk about the design and the color is the car gets attention and a lot of attention. And okay, you know it's funny when your friends like just find the bright blue car and you'll find me, which good attention. But you know sometimes you want to pump gas in your car and you don't want to talk to nobody and then people are making jokes like oh this is so nice or they make like or they kind of making bad jokes about oh uh, do you want to exchange it with my car <laughs> it's like uh, shut up and leave uh luckily for me I didn't have too much of those other moments where you drive and then another like yeah, let's say a youngster comes next to you and is like trying to want to race you on the road. <laughs> I I had it once or twice, and I'm like, nah, I'm too old like, for this shit. <laughs> not only that, but again, remember when I was making my charade about like I go on racetracks because I know it's the safe thing to yeah. do. Yeah, it's like, dude, we have race. Even if they're closing, we have some racetracks still open to do that. Like, go do that outside of the fucking highway at like 5 p.m. when there's traffic in Montreal. That happened once to me. I'm like. That's not the moment to do it. Even if you can say that there's never a moment to do that on highway, yes. But if we do that at midnight, like there's a different thing, you know. I'm not saying I've done that at midnight. Don't get me wrong. But you see mm-hmm. the, the, the you see the pain. The, you see what I'm trying to brush here. Yes. So, so yeah. So that and it's funny though because that was really in the the two first years of the car that still happened to this day but it was really at its eye when the car was really popular in the car review channels in the magazines in youtube in the in the car tv shows too when it got attention when it was still produced because it was only produced for three years so 2016 2017 and in 2019 and 2018 excuse me they got uh they tweaked it a bit for the final edition and then it stopped the production because uh, in 2019 sadly not, not not in North America and we'll come back on that later but uh, not in North America uh, the Focus got its new generation in Europe for example and even then we still don't know if uh, the new generation Focus will get a RS uh, model we it has an ST model but RS is still uh, unknown at this time 
So after talking about what I like, about the buying process, what I dislike, um, we need to talk about the future. Because mm. again, it's four years. Uh, if you count the years, I've never owned a car that long, which could say something about me, but uh, I'll let you figure this out. Um, yeah, remember when I was talking about... Um, oh, I'll go on that first. So there's one thing right now about the focus that is making me hesitant to go to a new place or to go to something else, to get rid of it from my life. Is I like it. It is spacious enough. Like I don't have kids. So again, when we have passengers, for sure, really rare right now because of pandemic. Yeah. But again, even last year when we went, when we brought my nephew to camping, uh, uh, I think I should post a couple of pictures. Ah, uh, no, I won't do that. But I, I think I, I've posted online a couple of pictures. So if you follow me on Facebook or even Instagram of some of the random shit we did with my car, uh, like going camping with my nephew, where literally the car is full of camping gear, like literally <laughs> full. It's like on my nephew, it's on Tony. It's like, it's jam pack. Or the other time when we went to Ikea to buy a sofa and it's like, oh, we got one box out of two of the sofa in my car and we were stuck at Ikea uh, until we called a friend to get the other yep. box. So, so that was fun too. So it is spacious to a point. Again, I wish it was a bit more spacious, but I don't want to go to something bigger either or to a SUV, which is the trend these days. As I mentioned, I feel too that this car is kind of not the last car, but a car from a moment in Ford that is no longer going to happen. Like it's kind of a, from an era that's gone, even if it's a couple of years ago. Uh, the main reason I say that too is yes, Ford has still performance cars, but at this point in North America, they've announced that they're no longer selling any cars except the Mustang. And I think the Mustang is a nice car, but I'm not seeing myself getting one. Um, no judgment on the Mustang itself. I just feel that uh, I was more of a hatch, hatchback car guy than a Mustang person, if you see what I mean. Uh, and it seems that this era of building somewhat cheap, again, we consider the RS is not cheap, but the Focus, the Fiesta ST were pretty cheap cars in the market. They were, uh, and they were really the top of the hill uh, in their categories. So I'm a bit disappointed that the new Fiesta ST didn't come. Yes, there's a new one in Europe and it looks even better than the old one. Uh, same thing for the Focus ST, but still no rumors about, no news about the, a new upgraded RS. There was a couple of rumors in the, in 2019, 2010 and 2020, excuse me, about a new model that will have 400 horsepower, uh, that would have some kind of hybridization to get this output and also follow the new uh, CO2 emission rules from Europe. But I also saw other rules saying that even with the hybridization, uh, Ford felt it was not financially viable for them to do that and also respect the new European laws. So the new generation RS is still up in the air, possibly even cancel or canned. So it could mean that this car is the last of its kind from Ford. And... I kind of feel a bit attached to this, if you see what I mean. Uh, again, I, again, we discussed in the opening of this uh, section that it's hard to get PS5 and the PS4 are getting more expensive. 
I'm not saying I'm considering it an investment, but I will feel bad if I don't decide to if I decide to sell it now and then I could get the exact same money a year from now with this with maybe ten more ten k more ten k kilometers more for the same money and continue doing some of the payments. So I'm in a space where I feel my time with it is not done, but I'm in a space where I need a new experience, like in 2017. And as I mentioned, uh, when we we're talking about the 2017 section, I didn't really talk about which car I was looking it at. And there's a reason why. It's because I kind of revived those plans this summer. But this time, I did find something. So the cars I was looking at was the, tw- the 97 to 2004. Yes, 2004 Porsche Boxster, or also known as the uh, 986 generation uh, those are getting uber cheap even if they're 20 years old car uh, they still hold some value but they are right now available from depending of the quality and blah blah let's say 10 to tw- 10 to 20k depending of which model you're getting if it's a more like 2003 2004 those are still pretty expensive i've even seen some in the 25k uh, canadian so even if you look at like, cars and bids bring a trailer they're still worth 8 to 17k usd for sure and again price are getting up because people have a lot of money and they want to buy cars because they, that's the only thing they can do is drive around um so it does mean that currently i have something to pick my interest and kind of like pass this i wanted something new rear-wheel drive two seats drop down top it's really nice i really enjoy uh sunroofs but like dropping the roof is even better uh i uh, like i bought it i think three weeks ago and i already did like a uh, hundred like a hundred and no a thousand six hundred kilometers with it and literally i work at home like five days a week <laughs> so uh we're really enjoying that and again um I'm eager to see what the future holds. Uh, for sure, there's a lot of fun with cars that's going to happen with this new toy. And I really call it a new toy. I don't fear like it's really a new toy. Uh, and for now, I feel that the RS will stay in my life. But again, uh, there's a couple of other things that makes me think that not its time has come, but its time is coming. Uh, one other thing is Tony's working on getting his driver's license. He's not the biggest fan of trying manual transmission cars. I hope that will <laughs> change. But uh, one thing to say is now that I have, I can possibly focus on, and that's not, not a bad pun, but focus on more sporty experiences for the summer, the summer cars, excuse me, we could pull back the sportiness of the daily driver, if you see what I mean. And even since getting the Boxster, I started to call my uh, Focus RS like the daily driver or even the pickup truck because uh, I did a, a tire errand recently to go uh, to buy new tires for the Boxster. And literally the best car I had to put four tires in it was the Focus RS. <laughs> and it was quite funny. Uh, small side note about um, about me having two sports cars as cars. Uh, in my quote-unquote garage is that when I bought the Boxster, we know we're signing the papers and all that fun stuff. And uh, the lady that was doing the transaction with me and everything, like we started to talk, smoke talk about cars. And she was like, oh, what what is your daily driver? You know, like you're buying a summer car and like, like, what do you drive daily? I was like, do you know what's a Focus RS? And she's like, 
yes, I do. And that's your daily driver? It's like, yes, it is. <laughs> so it's like, you don't have a normal car in this garage, quote unquote. So, so yeah. So, uh, I hope today you enjoyed this journey through my car experiences, my small retrospective about the Focus RS. Uh, and I'll keep you posted on what's its future. But for sure, this year, I expect to keep it for the whole summer up until 20, like even this winter. Again, we'll see. But my think is, my current thinking is, I bought a new toy. I still enjoy uh, the Focus RS, even with the new toy. It's crazy just comparing the two cars. How they drive differently? How the clutch pedal act and the the manual shifter acts differently? How the engines work differently? It's really fun, uh, and I really like feel a bit freaked out sometimes when I move from one car to the other, like <laughs> in a day or in the same day. Uh, or in a day or two in the same day. So that, I think I'll have a lot of fun this summer. And again, uh, it's an old car, the Boxster, and there's a couple of small projects, a couple of small projects I reserve from mechanics because I'm a noob in, mechani- a noob in mechanics, but a couple of smaller projects that also reserve from me. Uh, so I'm really eager to see uh, those projects. And uh, the teaser that we've talked a bit in the past episode about programming is I'm... I'm not sure if I should announce it because I'm making not too good, not too much process, but I would like to bring kind of a, like a project log website with the things I do on the 99 Boxer. Um, again, to document my journey through it, I kind of wish I have done that with the Focus RS. I could have retroactively done that and I might do it. Uh, but again, now it's at that time, I really want to build a project log for this car about the things I fixed, the things I've changed, the, the things I do with it. The like, I think a good example I can give you is uh, Steven Ackett's like Mac Pro log of all the modification yep. he's done. Or I also have one I've sent to Yannick that I can put in the show notes about uh, a guy that I've been doing that with his uh, 2011 Porsche 911. Yeah, 2011 Porsche 911 Turbo. And he also did that with this 2003 Porsche Carrera 4S before. And it was well followed in the Porsche community because he was also giving like maintenance tips and tricks. So uh, kind of getting inspired by this and also trying to get better at web development skills, which is a journey. Let's put it this way. Yeah, I, I don't know why, but this year I sort of became a cheerleader for personal websites. And uh, I'm really excited to see what comes out of your uh, your work on this page uh, in the coming months, maybe. Right. I, I hope not months, but uh, hope weeks first. But again, months yeah, might Maybe by the time we get back from summer break. Ah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Again, at the same time, I also try to build a personal like kind of like portfolio, just saying. Hey, a bit like what we have personally, Yannick, uh, not including the knowledge base, but let's say personal website and my equivalent of the knowledge base would be uh, my car uh, project logs. Yeah. And that's it. Awesome. So if you want to find the show notes for this episode of the show, you can find them at limitlesspossibility.net slash 162. You can also go listen to our entire back catalog at limitlesspossibility.net. You can find the show on Twitter that is at limipo underscore podcast. That's L-I-M-I-P-O underscore podcast. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at Sakurina. That's S-A-K-U-R-I-N-A. And you can find a good of you on Twitter at... 
Lukunosh, that's L-U-C-C-O-N-O-U-C-H-E. And I invite you to just search me on Instagram. I think my account is private, but again, there's a lot of more of the car stuff that happens on pictures than happens on text with uh, Instagram. So it's the rare moments where I also plugged Instagram in our outro. Cool. And see you in two weeks. See you in two weeks.